Hi, I'm Mark, and this is the Fast Track Impact podcast, where we look at how researchers can become more productive and use their work to achieve real-world impact. In today's podcast, we'll be looking at the benefits of working with knowledge brokers. And I'll be doing that in conversation with Rosemary Neumann, who is, in fact, herself a knowledge broker. But before we get into that, I'd like to give you my research impact tip of the week. So this week's research tip is to make your research massively more accessible to the people who are making decisions in this world and who might be interested in your research by listing your papers and setting up a profile on ResearchGate or Google Scholar. Uh, these are two of a number of different services out there that, uh, that do this kind of thing for you. I like these two in particular because they are dead easy to use. Uh, so these services typically find your papers for you uh, in various ways. Uh, we'll send you an email to ask if this is something that, uh, that you did indeed co-author. Uh, and yes, sometimes it gets it wrong. You can weed them out. That's, that's fine. Uh, but without a lot of hassle, without having to type stuff in, uh, you can very quickly populate it profile um, and uh, and curate this so that you can, uh, in the, certainly in the case of ResearchGate, put on you know, your top papers that you really want to make visible and you want to be widely read um, uh, and just fill in other details about your research, link to your personal website, uh, all these kinds of things. Uh, and instantly now, uh, your research is significantly easier to find uh, in any Google search uh, or whatever other search engine people might be using to research any particular topic. Uh, if you can find uh, a copyright-free version of your article, perhaps a pre-publication proof, or uh, if you can contact the publisher and ask permission, I, I've done this for most of my articles, and in most cases I've, I've managed to get them uh, online in their full text, then uh, all the better. Uh, you're doing a favour to all the researchers around the world now who can't get access to research because they're behind paywalls. Uh, as well as the, the government analysts uh, and the consultancy firms who are doing analysis for governments uh, around the world so that they have the latest evidence and ideally your evidence at their fingertips. And of course, if they want to contact you uh, on your profile, uh, your contact details, and they can follow up for more work. So the tip is make your research massively accessible by setting up a profile on ResearchGate or Google Scholar. So I am here in uh, a hotel lobby, hence the uh, random background noises, with uh, Rosemary Neumann, who is a knowledge broker. Uh, Rosie, tell us a little bit about yourself to start with. Uh, how did you end up becoming a knowledge broker? Yeah, thanks for this question. Um, I suppose I was interested in nature all my life. Uh, I've been hiking since I was very, very little. And hence, I decided to study landscape ecology. So being interdisciplinary, interdisciplinary trained for uh, quite some time for my, all my masters. And I decided to do my final thesis uh, in New Zealand. I worked with geckos. And besides that, I worked in local conservation, um, which was great. 
uh, in some ways, but it was great, uh, not great in other ways. And that was the aspect that there were so many actors who were meant to work together quite well, but they didn't end up working quite well. Uh, and the trouble I found out was that they didn't communicate that well, or not as, at least not as uh, good as they should. So yeah, that was uh, I think the first time I was really getting interested in finding out why you know why is it that they don't communicate and what can I do to change it? And so I, I think that is the basis for me becoming a knowledge broker. So did it work? Uh, did you manage to achieve the kind of changes that you hoped to achieve? Well, in some ways, I was quite happy at the time because I, I did it the way I was you know happy with that that time, which was a, like a more rebel way. I put my fist on the table and say, like, you know, you guys, you have to do that. <laughs> it's your obligation to save the geckos. And uh, in that way, they kind of got going. And uh, there was this uh, more and more communi community support from that. There was support from the local NGOs and, and other local researchers and so on. And so there was quite a backing. And this actually led to the, the first community-based dual gecko recovery program. And I was happy to play a role in that. And um, after I left New Zealand, I actually found out that uh, during some of the stuff that I, you know, started with during that time, uh, it ended up that jeweled geckos, uh, amongst other green geckos in New Zealand, uh, were listed higher in the CITES appendix, which makes them even more um, protected on the international level, given that they, were, that they are smuggled. Uh, and poached um, so yeah if that's a good outcome on the international basis I wasn't expecting it but it's the best thing I can think of yeah fantastic so uh, effectively that that passion that you had to try and achieve a change was something that you really cared about was what actually uh, forced you into the role of knowledge broker which you then ended up really succeeding in and and now you are very much a knowledge broker and so i wonder if you can describe for me uh, what for you is a knowledge broker what does that mean yeah, for me, a knowledge broker a knowledge broker's role starts to connect the people necessary to have the impact that uh, is wanted. So identifying that, um, identifying the networks that they work in, and uh, the second part is communicate. So get them on the same table in the same room to communicate to each other. Um, this can be done through workshops, through like um, just meetings, a small meeting, big meetings. Um, and knowledge broker can facilitate that. They can moderate. They can even be conflict, uh, do the conflict resolution if if that's in a room, which sometimes is the case with different uh, ideological ideas. Um, and the last bit is to sustain those relationships. So what is necessary to build the trust that those relationships are built on? Um, yeah, I think that's wrapping up the uh, three ideas about a knowledge broker for me. Okay. So if you are working with uh, a researcher uh, and you're trying to, to help them to build these networks, communicate more effectively and, and achieve change, can you give us a, a feel for the kind of things that, that you would do and, uh, and the kind of reasons why a researcher might choose to work with a knowledge broker? Um, maybe I'd use an example for that. Um, imagine you're like an ecologist. Imagine you're like a below-ground uh, biodiversity researcher and you have no idea what an impact is that you can make with 
the work you're doing as a researcher. So you would come to me and ask, like, and identify the target group as a first instance. Like, who are the people that I want to target? Is it actually, like, kids that you want to educate and say, like, earthworms are the most amazing creatures on Earth, and that's why? I mean, that would just generate, like, the next generation of conservationists. You never know. But you might as well want to kind of target policymakers and want to have an impact on, uh, let's say, even the European agriculture policy. So in order to do that, uh, you would have to identify, you know, who are the exact people, you know, what you want to, what school age uh, the kids have to be, but exactly at the same time, uh, or like, <laughs> sorry, if you choose to have the policymakers as a target group, who are exactly the ones that you want to do? What is the legislation you want to have an impact on? Uh, and this is when, you know, this is the first step to identify those people. Okay, so we've um, you've helped the researcher now to work out who it is that they're trying to communicate with. Um, so they're connected to uh, school kids, they're infusing all these uh, conservationists of tomorrow. Uh, they've identified particular groups of policy makers with specific types of legislation now that they're, they're trying to perhaps influence or, or change or improve in some kind of way. Um, What's the, what's the next step? How, how can you then actually uh, work with those researchers to, to achieve change? Mm, as I said, the connection was the first step. Now we are leading to the second step, which is communicate. Um, it's, it's quite a difficult thing. You know, you're a researcher and you're talking with your language, but your target group might not. So you're talking totally different way with a kid, uh, explaining why the earthworm is so amazing. Uh, but you're also communicating in a totally different way if you talk to a policymaker. So I will try to uh, help you to address that. And maybe I'm also like acting like a translator and help you to do that. Especially if you have like... Um, I mean, policymakers have a totally other expertise. So what is it that, that helps them to understand what you're doing and what are their questions? You know, it's, it's not just a one-way communication that I would help you to fulfill, but I would really rather to have you a, having a sustainable dialogue with the target, you, target group you're aiming at. So the policymakers have their expectations and they have their question of why and what is it is what your impact can be and they might come up with other questions that helps to find a common common uh, idea to um, you know pursue with the impact so to what extent <coughs> to what extent is this you kind of mentoring coaching guiding training the researcher so that they themselves can achieve these kinds of changes or, or to what extent is this you actually Uh, going out and, and doing this for the researcher and, uh, and actually doing that communication for them or is, is, it, a, is it a bit of both? Um, I think I wouldn't consider myself as, as the one who like let's say uh, sets up your Twitter account or something if that's a choice of communication tool but I uh, can help you and support you with setting up a communication strategy in the first place targeted directly at target audience um, and I can help you to see, like, what are your strengths, what is the, the communication strategy that works best for your personality, if you're, like, coming as a single person, but the same as if you are, like, a big, uh, like, project, research project. It's, like, what is the strength in your team and what uh, really helps to, to get the aim 
uh, achieve that you set for yourself and what are kind of the impacts that maybe are even required uh, from the research uh, grant uh, or the research funders, I'm sorry, but yeah, research funders. Um, so if there's any specifics there, I can help you with that for, for sure. Okay, so to what extent is this something that um, the, the researchers can or perhaps should be doing? Should we all actually now be knowledge brokers? Um, or to what extent is this something that we should be relying on people like you to do with us and for us? At what point do you decide as a researcher, right, this is the point I wish I need help now, I need professional help now? I think... The first answer I would give there it's totally up to you when to decide if you want to help extra external help or you don't um, I'm not one of those supporters who says like every researcher has to become the most amazing knowledge broker but uh, having said that if if you are one of those natural people then awesome <laughs> but if not then uh, you know you've got your exp expertise and that's brilliant and you know if a knowledge broker they all the knowledge brokers have their own expertise and you have to find the ones who uh, complements your skills, basically. And uh, maybe just to give you a really blank example, like if you need help from a plumber, you wouldn't necessarily need to do it yourself, but you would get a professional plumber. So that's, in a way, it's the same with knowledge brokers. And some people, unfortunately not me, can actually do plumbing themselves. Yeah, if only. <laughs> Um, so what are the, the, the benefits then that most of the researchers that, that you work with say that they get out of working with a knowledge broker? And, and maybe from the other side, policymakers or, or other people that you're helping to uh, access knowledge from researchers, what, what do they say are the benefits of working with a knowledge broker? And a knowledge broker can really also help to connect the people, not just choosing who they are, but also once they're identified, uh, help you to kind of sit together. I can help to facilitate any uh, meeting that you may have, any workshop, moderate the workshop. And given that I have a training in mediation, I mean, I can really help if there, <laughs> surely there are conflicts uh, in terms of, you know, different ideas. And if that's clashing, uh, you know, against each other, I can help to solve that, uh, to, you know, to come up with a good communication on, on a long-term basis. Cool. So if uh, people want to find out more about what you're doing, how should they do that? Uh, well, I'm just setting up my own company called Impact Dialogue. Um, the sub-headline is actually going to be, as, as I said, the fifth step. It's going to be connect, uh, communicate and sustain. And I've, I've chosen the impact dialogue because I think the, the smallest entity to communicate is a dialogue. Uh, and not just only between two people, but it's starting with oneself, like a dialogue with oneself to reflect, then to have a dialogue with, with other people and then going from there as the smallest entity of uh, trusting relationships and, you know, really sustainable knowledge transfer or whatever you want to achieve. Thank you very much indeed for taking the time to help us understand what being a knowledge broker is all about and how we as researchers can benefit from it. So each week I like to try and give you an action that you can do based on what you've learned in the podcast today. So Rosie described a knowledge broker as someone who helps connect people 
who then helps those people to communicate more effectively with one another and who then helps those people to sustain those trusting relationships for the long term. Now very often a knowledge broker is someone who connects people uh, who uh, would otherwise be disconnected from each other. Uh, now people may be disconnected for many reasons. They may be disconnected in space. They just simply are too far apart physically from one another. But very often this is actually more of a relational disconnection. Uh, these are people who just live in different worlds, who see the world in, in a completely different way, which is perhaps in some way uh, incompatible or just, just doesn't make sense. Uh, they may be disconnected through language, they, they simply can't understand one another, whether that is an actual language barrier uh, or whether it's just the jargon that those, uh, those people use. Uh, and very often this is a, a relational disconnect based on conflict. Uh, whatever that reason is, uh, an effective knowledge broker can help us to bridge those divides and create connections with people that we need to be able to communicate with and be in relationship with if we want to achieve impact. And so what I want you to think about this week uh, is uh, who you might need to connect with that you are not currently in relationship with. Uh, who are the stakeholders? Who are the uh, different publics that you ideally would love to connect with? Who you really feel like you ought to be in relationship? That you feel that you will have to know if you want to have the impacts that you want, but that you are not currently in relationship with. And now I want you to, to think if there might actually be someone in your network at the moment, perhaps someone in your uh, department, who could uh, actually facilitate that relationship, who could introduce you. Uh, they might have them in their address book, they might be connected to them on social media, uh, from a former role, perhaps they came out of industry, uh, whatever the reason is. Uh, have a think about whether there might be someone who can help you to make that connection. And if not, think about whether uh, you might want to engage uh, a professional knowledge broker, like Rosie, for example. Uh, and the second task that I would like you to think about is whether, in fact, you might be that person. So have a think about whether there might be someone in your research group, in your department, who uh, needs, ideally, to connect with people that you know who are in your network who you might be able to introduce them to. So I've got connections with policy people and environment-type departments in the UK and in other countries. And, uh, I'm in a fairly new department here in Newcastle. Uh, and uh, maybe there are people who I could reach out to to say, well, you know that stuff that you're doing on X or Y? You know, have you ever thought about talking to this group within this particular government department? Um, do you know these guys? If not, then maybe uh, I could connect you to them. I'll send you an email and introduce you to each other. I think these guys would be interested in this particular part of your research. What do you think? Um, I'm going to try and act on that in this week. Uh, hopefully you can act on that uh, this week uh, and see uh, who you can connect through your networks and whether you might be able to take a step yourself towards being a bit more of a knowledge broker. Give it a try and uh, I'll see you here next week.